What's up, party people? How y'all doing? Welcome to This Week in Mormons. I'm Jeff Openshaw, your founder. And I'm Kurt Frankham, your somewhat regular co-host. But longtime supporter of the show, Kurt. Hey, yep. I think this was way back, 2012. I mean, how long have you been doing this, Jeff? Since 2010, early 2010. I would say 2011, 2012, and I stumbled across you and and Al, and I thought, well, these two are apostates. Let's see what they have to say. And uh, little did I know that... uh, you came around. You repented, and you, no, I'm just kidding. No, you said, "Oh, oh you said, oh, they're faithful members of the church. They just sound like apostates. <laughs> they're just snarky." Okay, <laughs> I get it. All right, that's cool. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> You've been around for a while, folks. Some days, some days, I wish I could redo Sunday School Bonanza, but oh, I don't man. have the time. I don't have the time to commit. Do you to remember it your dream, Jeff, that you were going to just like do the four years and then just hit repeat? I guess you did that. I, for did, a while. I did it for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. We got through all four years, and then it, then it recycled over, and I just kind of I republished because like how to get to the top of somebody's feed, so yeah. I republished the same episodes four years later. Yeah, uh, and then kind of when we were hitting our one of our lull, our big lull in 2018, when. Uh, We'd scaled back production of this show, figuring out what Al's situation was, and I got busy, and then we didn't do much of anything for many months. Uh, that's when a number of you stopped listening, and uh, and many of you stuck around. Thank you, true believers. Appreciate you, people. <laughs> um, it was around that same time as well. I think I even stopped. Like I think we're on. I think we were on Old Testament. Yeah, that rings a bell because it was about four years yeah. ago, and I, and I just kind of like gave up. I just stopped doing. Sun- if you look at the Sunday School Bonanza iTunes feed, I think it dies out sometime around now. <laughs> Now, I've been thinking about this that isn't didn't we start come follow me on the New Testament? Isn't that right? I think so. Yeah. So I'm just thinking about this, you know, this, this surge of YouTube channels. I, I I assume many have not did not start at the beginning of come follow me, but I wonder what they will do when they sort of loop back around, right? Will they feel like, well, here we go again. Let's just rehash what we did before, maybe you know, in a different way, or maybe interesting to see what happens to that. Uh, That's a good question. That uh, industry. I think it's it a. I think it's very much an opportunity to try to rethink the structure of Come Follow Me, which works for family and personal study week to week, but I still think needs tighter direction in terms of when you have a biweekly gospel doctrine lesson. Mm. Oh, Jeff, it's okay to leave it as a grab bag wormhole. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's fair. Let the teachers use it at their discretion. So, but I think, but I think the point is they're trying to make it so like all of us are studying the same thing all the time. But you could go to Gospel Doctrine, and you might have one teacher who is covering the material you just read for the week. But I've mm-hmm. seen others who are going to cover the material that's coming in, in the forthcoming week. I don't mind personally that that makes things a little a little more flavorful as we're learning, and you never know quite what you're going to get. But if the goal is like church wide, like very unified curricula that we're all kind of working on at the same time privately and within a church setting, then that's a little bit of an issue. Yeah. This this concept of Sunday school has been in my mind a lot recently. Actually, yesterday I was called about 12 hours before Sunday school and said, hey, the teacher's sick. Can you step in and teach? So I had the opportunity to teach yesterday uh, in this book of Judges, which is you know the second of two lessons that could have been, been covered. But even that, even if you just take one lesson and say, you know, we're going to teach on it. There's so much content in the book of Judges, you know, it's a whole book of scripture that you just can't hit. Because I think in our minds, we we sort of imagine this place where we all gather on Sunday and they're like, oh, I love verse two. Oh, I love verse two as well. And let's read that. And then we studied, you know, this this stretch of verses. And then there's this great discussion of people's week or two weeks of, of study. But now it's like, uh, you know, half the room maybe didn't even crack the book. The other half spent maybe focused on different areas. And so you can't really come together and have this review type of approach. Interesting. Jeff? Yeah. I mean, what do yeah. you think? Is it, but so, but going back to what you initially said, like, how could we hypothetically like tighten this up a little bit so it's better, more of a, uh, a community experience, which I think they're uh, shooting for. And you want it to be more of a community experience. I mean, part of that is, is, I think teachers, frankly, the thing I think we need is teachers to be more proactive in their callings. I'm not dissing mm. the many wonderful teachers yeah, yeah. who do jobs, but it's very easy to treat it as something like I show up and teach the lesson. I'm assuming others are doing their personal study, which hopefully they are. I can t- I can tell like in lessons when some people have clearly been reading during the week or have not, whatever. But um, we need to empower teachers more because if you really look at the manual, everything we know about teachers, it's not just to show up and teach thing. It's really like think about your class, yeah. your needs. I'm not saying others aren't being prayerful, but engage with them during the two weeks in between send an email to the mm-hmm. the your class people to tell them what you're talking about what you're thinking about ask them what they're thinking about really get the juices flowing a lot more so it feels like it's this communal experience because while I think we are using come follow me well for our personal study and hopefully that is 
that is sort of parlaying into what we're doing in our gospel doctrine setting or Sunday school setting, for example, it still does feel kind of like yeah. lecture focused with questions asked as opposed to going around. Yeah, I, I like that. And I, I mean, I could have, I think it would have definitely enriched my teaching experience. Obviously I was asked to step in last minute, but if I was the, the full-time teacher saying things like, Hey, I'm going to just focus on the story of Deborah in the book of judges. So really hit that, that story hard, bring your thoughts and here we go. And then, you know, nobody's surprised and whatnot. I've heard of other teachers who have like, like a texting group, right? That, Hey, yeah, you can join like this great. if you want. And they're texting out like questions throughout the week and, and then they come to class. And I think there is sort of, you've already sort of jailed around a certain uh, topic or story, you know, all these things are great ideas. Also, of course, I'm going to say this facetiously, you know, you could use, you know, the gospel living app, you know, um, use the circles. Oh wait, you can't cause you can't create your own. And there is not one for, there's one that just says adults. So you can message all the adults. <laughs> These apps, I bless their heart. I mean, there's probably a, a unified groan in some department in the IT uh, department. Oh, I've, I've, um, I've been made privy to some things about the development of the Gospel Living app. <laughs> it's, it's, here's the thing, folks. You have to remember, our church is wonderful. It's full it of is. wonderful, terrific individuals across the, all over the place, both professional employees and general authorities who want great things. But like any big organization, there is always this just like man. There's always the tendency of of principals, managers to decide they want something and decide they wanted it yesterday and it has mm-hmm. to get done. Mm-hmm. And so you might think even in the Lord's church, something like app development is being done in a very, <laughs> a very yeah. methodical, cautious way. No, there's also things when certain leaders say, no, 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 we need this and this and this and this and we want it done in six months. Yeah. And they'll just be like, yeah, okay. And then when you, that happens, you wind up with things like the Just Serve app, which has been half baked since the, since its inception, and it could be a lot more. And I've worried we like roll these things out with fanfare, but then it doesn't always seem like we try to support them in the long term and make them better. I think the idea of gospel living is cool. I think the idea of circles is cool if you could customize yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. But the problem is it doesn't totally work that way, and so like you don't use it. Like my bishop keeps trying to get Ward Council to use to do it, but like nobody does because it's just like easier to text everybody. Like bottom line, it's just easier to text everybody. Yeah. So is that app not even being updated now currently? I, no, I mean the app is updated. I don't think functionally it's changed. It's a just ton a, since they it's could just improve it if it's first rolled out. They probably have like, lost funding to it, or they've focused priorities elsewhere, right? Well, I really think one of the best potential uses of it is to use it with youth who are such a focus right now to be able to reach out to them. The youth don't really use email Mm -hmm. as we're learning. They're okay-ish with texting and different leaders are going to, with varying degrees of success, utilize social media to be in touch with the youth in their ward. I know you've got an episode or an article on on leading saints back when it was, um, you know, leading more, I forgot what you're supposed to be called. (laughs) Leading Mormons? Leading Mormons? Leading Leading LDS. LDS, yes. But, um, (laughs) <laughs> there was called basically it was a rundown of why bishops need to be on social media. And yeah, a lot yeah. of bishops are afraid to be on social media. Mm-hmm. But if you could get your youth on their phones and they had the circles app and you could, con- you could have a little bit more control over it. That's a good way to like keep up with the youth in your work. Right. I do find it's kind of hard to like pin them down. Yeah. Now think- that I'm in this, this role as like a counselor in the Bishop brick, I love my youth, but it's not always clear like what the best method is for me to even contact one of them during the week. Like, do I just call their parents? Do I send them an email? Do I text them? Do they have a phone? It's not like the olden days when, when you and I were teenagers and a counselor would just call our house line yeah. and say, hey, can I speak you with Go Jeff? pick up the phone off the wall. And, and that's say, all it was. It's it's a little bit more balkanized now. And that is yeah. a challenge. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and especially in this day and age when it's even more important to keep up with the youth. Um, Got to find this, the best way Jeff, to do it. This is why third-party organizations like Leading Saints is so important to the mission of the church. Because I get a lot of people is, this, ask me— This uh, is like your pre-roll spiel that plays oh, before every episode. You sent this me up great. well, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> but a lot of people ask me, like, do you hope that Leading Saints, you know, gets acquired or the church sort of absorbs the the effort and whatnot? I'm like, no, I do not. Not that I don't want the church running <laughs> this is it like, or This is like a government versus private industry thing, and you view <laughs> the, the, the church bureaucracy as the bureaucracy. will swallow it whole. And and then you got dynamics like correlation and the yeah. PR department. And it's like, it's better that some random kid in uh, Stansbury Park, Utah, runs the podcast out of his basement and uh, calls it a day. You know, I guess, uh, but, but... <laughs> Are you towing the line? Are you doing what the church wants you to do? That's the issue. You could well, become a rogue agent and I use could. your use your influence and following to. And uh, I think we've seen rogue agents uh, go, <laughs> take a left turn, right? 
Yeah, this show is for an example. Yes, um, yes. yes. If, if you would uh, change my name and my voice uh, on all future episodes. That'd be if the church cool. would like to acquire This Week in Mormons, <laughs> yeah. sure. They got your number, Jeff. I'm all for it. Please go ahead, <laughs> Jeff at thisweekinmormons.com. Shoot me a note. Let's do this oh. thing. Well, Jeff, I, I, I'd hate to extend the banter, but I'm going to okay. because oh, uh, it's a slow news week. Uh, well, or, not or silly really. news week. If, we always say this, and then the show ends up being ninety minutes I know, long. It's true. So it's true. Okay. Uh, how's the, how's the bishopric experience going? I'm, I'm speaking sort of with my leading saints hat on a little bit here. Well, thank you for asking. For one, yeah. I've actually been excited to talk about this with you more than oh, probably good. any of the other co-hosts because this is more in your lane. Um, and you've been aware of this for a while. I remember, I think you were in Israel, and I remember I sent you a message, and I was like. So if you're already the executive secretary and a counselor in the state president wants to meet with you and your wife, and you immediately just said Bishop Rick. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I really spent some time like, what on earth could it be? Like, maybe a Trekmon paw? I don't know. <laughs> right. And so, so. And cause we were like, we were like, they wouldn't meet with both of us just to release me. I mean, I was exec sec for a long time. Yeah. So so it's the only thing that made sense. And that's, that's what it was. So uh, uh, it's been good. You know, it took them a while to do the full, I think I told the tale here on the show. It mm-hmm. took a while to actually get there just because they wanted all of it. Our other counselor was traveling a lot for work. It was hard to kind of get us all in one place on on one Sunday. So I've only been in for about four or five weeks now. Uh-huh. But um, it's been good. It's fun. Obviously, I've been involved for a while and seen how a lot of how the hay is made as we speak. But yeah. now it's even it just feel a little funny because like I've been the bishop's executive secretary for so long, and now sometimes I have to remind myself when I've been in a room with just him and the first counselor, like it's like a different level of meeting perhaps than it was yeah. before. Like he's looking at me. And with different eyes, expecting different capacity out of me than it was before. And I have to kind of remind myself of that because it's easy for me just to remember like, hey, here we are again. Here we are, the two of us, you know, just doing my scheduling stuff. No, it's not that. It's, it's more than that. So uh, yeah. I've I've enjoyed it so far. I think Anything that's like surprised you uh, about the experience that you didn't expect? Or- um, well, I always expect there's always an administrative element when you're a counselor. I think uh-huh. even so in the in the Nelson era, basically, because yeah. I think the Nelson era is synonymous with the No More High Priest group, Two Hour Church, all of that era, right? And and part of that is also No More Young Men's Presidency. But and so I've enjoyed that spiritual side of it. I've loved being with the youth. It's the first time I've even gone to mu- I guess we don't call it mutual anymore. First time I've gone to youth activities, just call it mutual. First time I've gone to youth activities uh, since like I was in high school. Like I literally have uh-huh. not since that. I've never had a youth calling, and so that's <laughs> been kind of fun to do that. The administrative side is pretty interesting because I, I think um, when you're an exec sec, like you're, there's a lot of administrative work. Honestly, you you have to be proactive to make it into a spiritual pursuit, I would say, which I tried to do. But in this case, I could let stuff slide if it happened. Like I knew things, if things were earth shattering and I got behind, it's like, okay, I'm a little bit behind on some of these youth interviews and you sort it out. But like if I get behind on planning sacrament meeting, I have hosed the entire ward. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have to do this stuff. And so kind of staying on top of that. And that's been what's really interesting to me is at least the way we're doing it in our ward is the counselor and I just alternate on planning sacrament meeting. We're not collaborating month in and month in to do it. Um, so it's just like straight up on me. Just mm-hmm. like come up Love with it. the topics and the speakers, whatever you want, just clear it with the bishop and then and then go forth and invite people to do stuff. Um, and as I'm saying this, I know there's things in the back of my mind that I have people I've yet to invite that I need <laughs> to do and I already feel behind on. Yeah. And so, so that part of it's pretty interesting because you, you don't feel pressure per se, but you realize like, you know, you got to like be on top of this. Otherwise, yeah, you're cranking the wheel, right? Otherwise, ward programming will collapse and uh, that will be no bueno. My poor wife will have to speak every Sunday. <laughs> Just bring well, the kids up. Or you'll just, uh, you'll call all your uh, twin co-hosts and uh, yes, to come I to fly, I'll fly you out, Kurt. It'll be great. <laughs> um, my other favorite part has been my two-year-old constantly yelling at me from the congregation, which is oh, yes. great. Yes. That's and we're sitting there in the middle of the sacrament and he just looks up and goes, goes hey, daddy. Hey, dad. <laughs> hey, dad. Hey, <laughs> please, child. Be quiet. I don't even care. I just, I, no, I, I, I lean into it. I'm just like, what's up, bud? It's okay. Don't mind. So, so far rewarding. <laughs> nice. I'm sure that honestly, one of my favorite things I've done so far is temple recommend interviews. Mm. Um, you just kind of get thrust into it, but I don't know. There was something really like special about that being on the other side of it. Same questions I've answered myself, but, uh, yeah. but I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. It was interesting. You know, the same questions when you just kind of stare at your stake presidency member, or bishopric member and just say like, yep, yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. And just being the one to ask that, watching someone else have that same like look on their face as they're talking to me is it's like humbling in a weird way. It's just interesting. So and I here, here to decrease the awkwardness, I'll give you a tip with temple recommends. Don't memorize the questions because there's always that guy 
who's in the state presidency or whatever, who's done it so many times that he can recite the questions. And so he's like, I don't need the, I don't need the questions, but then it just turns awkward because he's literally staring at you the entire time. Like, <laughs> I don't know the, the introvert in me is sort of like, could you just, so when I did a, you know, look down at the paper, read the question, look up, get the answer, look down at the paper. Anyways. So. No, but the eye contact is crucial. You just stare oh, at them. I know. Look in their soul. All right. Yeah. But it is interesting in these administrative experiences, how, Things that are so routine, they, they, how different they feel just being on a, you know, in a different seat. Yeah, and I guess it's a good way to describe it. It felt a lot different, even though it's the same thing I've sat in many yeah. times. I mean, even life. like, uh, have you conducted sacramenting yet? Oh yeah, my first yeah. Sunday in. They just yeah, threw and me that's right just in. like they, you feel like I, I've never been in a sacrament. What do I say? Like this, so this might shock you. I have not really felt like I've struggled much with conducting sacrament okay. meeting. Um, nice. That has not inti- that's been like the least intimidating part of this entire process. I, I think for some it might be very intimidating, but I don't know if it's just from years of podcast. You're a natural master of ceremonies, Jeff. I, I'm com- I am comfortable in like an MC like environment. For me, honestly, though, the struggle is not to try to be like too Jeff in that situation. Yeah, <laughs> I knock it up there and be like, so so so. Hey, everybody, how we do? <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, try to just be sincere still be myself, uh, but it's not about me, right? Sacramento, you're just trying to set a tone for people to be able to be there and worship. I'm not there to entertain or anything like that. Right. So uh, right. that's the thing to remember. But as far as getting nervous, it is funny because if I'm giving a talk, I will still get a little bit of nerves because I feel like I'm more exposed spiritually in that sense, right? But if it's just standing up there to conduct a meeting, I'm just like, all right, hey, everybody. It's like, I'm fine. doesn't bug me at all. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, keep us updated, po- er, Jeff. Thank you. I will. Every week we will have an update on how is Jeff doing with with the uh with his life and the things until they find out i do this podcast and say you can't do that podcast anymore and i'll be like okay (laughs) does that ever come up no i don't know i don't broadcast because i I remember when i was doing leading saints as a the first you know few years of being a bishop i had started it before i was called as bishop and i you know i didn't want to i also do a side podcast about church leadership I, i never brought it up you know and suddenly you know every once in a while someone would find out but uh, and it wasn't that big. And, and for me, it's explicitly because I don't want it to be like I'm leveraging church for my own yeah, exactly. professional gain, right. whatever we're going to call this thing. Um, and so I don't. But uh, I do try to be mindful of that. I mean, it's it, a calling like this does make you think about like, well, what do I say on the podcast? What are we publishing on our social media feeds? What am I saying on social media for, the, right. for like just privately for that matter? I mean, I've noticed I've noted guys who get called as bishops sometimes like just seize up entirely on Facebook. And I think that might be a valid choice, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, cause yeah. I've had bishops who we had a bishop in our singles ward who was a former congressman and he would spout off like a ton about his political stuff. And you're like, dude, you're in Washington DC, like half your ward are Democrats. Like this is uh-huh. not a good way to ingratiate yourself with yeah. your flock. Yeah. So you gotta be mindful. Yep. Anyway, um, to get to some news. Let's do it, Jeff. So a quick adjustment here, very short notice here from the church, adjustment to temple scheduling. Oh, nice. uh, obviously, because of COVID, first they shut down the temples, then they started reopening the temples in phases. And as they did so, we required reservations to go to the temples. So um, in that case, it was specifically because most of them were not operating at full capacity and they could limit the number of people who could attend, all that stuff. I mean, some of you have probably been to weddings in the earlier days of COVID when they first reopened. And there was the one couple even allowed in the building. I remember these times, Kurt? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. like my, cousin, my cousin got married and they were like the only people in the temple. My sister got married and she was like the only person in the temple. It was that was something else. Um uh, we've moved past that, thankfully, and hopefully permanently, and we can all try to stay healthy and keep other people healthy. But now, um, they, they treat this like it's news. <laughs> They'll say, soon Latter-day Saints who would like to attend the temple to perform proxy ordinances, because you always have to have an appointment to do your own work, will have the option to either reserve an appointment or attend without an appointment where space is available. As priority will be given to patrons with appointments, those who attend the temple without a reservation may be asked to wait for an opportunity to participate. So it's like it was before. You know, you roll up to the temple, you say, oh, yeah, you know, there's a five o'clock session and you go and you yep. hope you're going to get in. Um, I'm assuming this means they'll they'll uh, not put a cap on capacity or we're, we're getting to that that step. But I am curious about it being a kind of a hybrid setup like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think reservations are smart in general. I, I, I don't. Maybe I got I got a little used to it because some of the smaller temples have always required reservations. They just don't have the space, uh, and so I mean I've done that in my life. I I like the reservation idea because you don't show up at a busy temple on a Saturday. Yeah, 
And you know how, I mean, you're in Utah, you know, sometimes yeah, you can be you like, yeah, wait gonna, hours just to get into the session. Just, just, yeah. just to get in. And if you're willing to do that, I guess, and you want to be a walk-in and that's your MO. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it makes you feel like you're on standby though. Like you're waiting there and they come to you and say, Hey, 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 we just had somebody cancel for the two thirty. Do you want to hop in here? Yep. I mean, I don't know how else you're going to know. So it's yeah, fine. I, to allow I, I like this. I think this will be a benefit because, you know, now with the Salt Lake Temple closed, Ardner's Temple is bountiful, which is about 40, 45 minutes from where I'm at. And so sometimes I don't know that I'm going to be in the area and it's nice yeah. to know like, oh, I'm going to be in, you know, that part of the valley and I'm going to grab my temple stuff and just see if I can pop in for a session, you know? So Yeah. And that's like how it always used to be. Right. So I actually like that they're keeping the reservation system because while well, it should be like first come first serve, I mean, in theory, I think it's a better way to manage people yeah. overall. It's like the yeah. same thing. I used to be very skeptical about movie theaters doing reserved seats. I thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. I'm like, no, really? you want your seat, you get there and you get your seat. <laughs> Uh, but then they don't even charge extra for it now. Now I'm like totally the opposite. I'm like, oh, no, no. I want to yeah, res- I want to walk reserve in, my seat, sit down, and it starts. Right? If I reserve my seat, I can skip previews. I can show up when I want to show up and yeah. just sit down and watch the thing. So uh, cool news here. They haven't actually given a firm timeline. It's just they just said soon. <laughs> Literally the description of soon. Soon this will happen. Uh, so keep your eyes out for soon. Soon you will do this. Nice. Yay. So Jeff... Temple Temple Open House, you had an opportunity to go, and not only did you uh, take away a a deeper conviction of temples, you also took away COVID from your uh, temple yeah, uh, tour, that, right? That is, is that, that, that is the belief, yes. Nice. <laughs> that is the prevalent thinking right now. And I guess now the, the news is the DC Temple Open House has had 250,000 attendees and counting, and uh, we were chatting about this before hitting record, and uh, you know, that's sort of, that's awesome. Like that's a lot of people, but uh, surprisingly it wasn't as many that they had back in the seventies of the initial open house. Yeah. I mean, it is cool. They got that many. I think this still does seem like a, they even said, what was it? Memorial day weekend or Saturday of Memorial day weekend had nearly 15,000 visitors during the day. And that's a big deal. Like this was a line going out. Yeah. If you've been to the DC temple, like down past the grounds, winding around towards the gate, that's a lot of people waiting to get in. That's very cool that they did that. Yeah. So, uh, um, but yeah, as we noted, quarter million, I think, I don't have anything official from public affairs people, seems even lower though than I think we expected overall. There was talk of a million going around pretty pretty freely before the open house started. Um, and to be clear, I don't think uh, we're not, I'm not saying the open house has been a failure or a disappointment <laughs> right. or anything like no, that's that. That's a lot of people, all right? Yeah, I think it's been a lot of people. But like you said, that's an interesting point you made though, right? So in, in 1974, when they had the first open house, over 750,000 people toured the temple and the open house was seven weeks long. This one is six weeks mm-hmm. long. So still the that's still definitely a lot more per week than what we're having right now. And I do think it's interesting because this is like generational. I mean, I know it was a brand new building in the 70s, but a whole generation has basically passed yeah. uh, seeing this building up there. And so I think it's cool. But yeah, it's... Uh, and I, I just wonder why the, intriguing. the difference, like is there a cultural shift? Like our communities aren't as curious or they're that's just not their thing or there's too many netflix series to stream through or <laughs> it's everyone's watching under the banner of heaven that's um, right. <laughs> it's i i don't know exactly i do have to wonder i mean it's such a large imposing building and when it was built the dc the population of the dc metro area was about 2.5 million people it's like three times that now yeah. And so I wonder if it's just diluted a little bit in terms of its overall presence. People know it from the Beltway, but people live even farther away. Some people live in the far-flung suburbs and might not really see the DC Temple. It it probably made a huge impact when it was first built in the 70s. I mean, this massive landmark in an area that did not have its population base is spread out. A little more visible, perhaps, you know, a little bit more hoopla about it. So either way, it's pretty cool. There'll be more. I mean, I think when all is said and done, we might crack uh, 300,000. There's only about another... This is essentially the last week of it right now. Yeah. It concludes on June 11th. That's the other funny thing, because they were supposed to rededicate the temple in, uh, I think, in late June initially, if I remember the first announcement. I might be getting this wrong. And then they came back and said, oh, because of demand, we're going to extend the open house indefinitely and push the dedication until like the middle of August. And we're like, whoa, it's like two months later. Wow, they're going to do that. And that's fine. Like if the demand was that huge, like let this thing run all summer. Let's do this thing. Man, it's going to be great. But then at the end of the day, they've literally only extended it about one week. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It was supposed to be done last Saturday and now it's going to go until uh, next Monday or next Saturday, this Saturday, whatever date that is. Um, I just think it's, it's just funny being out here when it was like, who knows when it's going to end? It's like, okay, we just gave it an extra week. That's fine. Yeah. 
but now the temple's going to sit for like two months until yeah. they dedicate it. So great. Thanks again, Salt Lake. Sorry. Nice. And you guys got your own uh, model, right, of the DC temple, like the they did with the Salt Lake temple? Oh, like a, cut, like a cutaway thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do have one. I, yeah. I, I'm assuming it's still in the visitor center. The visitor center was closed. When was we it there, there before this uh, renovation? Yeah, they did it oh, a couple okay. of years, a few years okay. ago. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Where are we going next, Jeff? I don't know. Where? It's, I mean, um, there's so many to pick. Since, since we're on Temple News, let's go to the land of your ancestors, Burley, Idaho. <laughs> of my ancestors. Okay. All right. Where, from, which, from whence you came, uh, they broke ground there in Burley, Idaho. And the thing I'm grateful for here is I remember many months ago, I was being a little facetious, shocking. And I wondered about all these various temple groundbreakings that would be coming up in the near future. And I think it was because like apostles were going to be at like the Smithfield, Utah one with two apostles there. I was like, oh, sure. Utah gets the apostles. Uh Burley, Idaho gets a member of the presidency of the 70. And then my beloved Yorba Linda, California just gets some rando, right? (laughs) But- but I ate crow, and thankfully so, because as you looked into it, you realized that the 70 presiding over your Belinda, when that happens, like grew up in Los Angeles. Um, and you learned that the two apostles, I forget which, I think one is Elder Stevenson, and I forget who the other one's going to be, that are going to be in Smithfield and Cache Valley, like grew up in Cache Valley. Mm-hmm. And Elder Brent H. Nielsen of the presidency of the 70 is actually from Burley, Idaho. So this was not at random or to make... The poor Californians who are leaving in in Moss. Uh, no, this is this is great for him. So he got to preside over a groundbreaking for a temple. How meaningful for him? How wonderful that must be. I mean, yeah. I think you're happy to do anything involving your church duties, but it can't you can't it can't help but be extra special when it's somewhere that's relevant to you personally. Uh, so over the weekend, they broke ground over at that temple in Burley. Um, this does appear to me to be uh, based on the pictures I'm seeing the very nature of a symbolic groundbreaking. In that a zoomed out shot shows some kind of massive just open parking lot of some kind yeah. and all the stuff they set up for the groundbreaking. And I'm assuming they just trucked in a trough of dirt and uh, quote unquote, they quote unquote broke ground. That's on right. It. That's right. I don't I, I haven't gone to enough groundbreakings, i.e. none to know for sure whether they always, always, always truck in the dirt or if there are times when they do actually have them break the ground on the site and then move forward. I don't know what the norm I'm calling Corey Ward. Corey yeah, well, and I think that's the case with any groundbreaking, even outside of the church. Uh, they just sort of truck in some dirt and uh, move it around and uh, call it a day. I but, want them to be real groundbreaking. If you want them ground, to lay the cornerstone and say, all right, boys, take it from here, right? No, none of that. But I want the actual people to be there like, all right, this is where it's happening. And they're the first people to that's break right. dirt, right. the actual dirt. Then you can bring in all this stuff. So well, I just I love hearing about you know these groundbreakings with these temples who that were sort of a surprise. Um, I know, you know, I have a good friend who lives in Burley and he put on Facebook, just, he's just like, you just can't believe it. You know, there's a temple coming to our town and, and I get the same feelings as I drive by the, the Taylorsville, Utah temple. I mean, yeah. it's like in my neighborhood practically. And I'm just like, I never could have imagined that this is where temple's going. And that it's just so cool when you have that personal connection and then to, to see these events and, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm super psyched for your Belinda, right? I couldn't. I mean, yeah. they announced Burley the same uh, general conference as your Belinda, I believe. And like, yeah, my phone lit up immediately. I'm sitting there trying for Twim. For those of you who listen, you know, we do our temple predictions and temple announcements are a big deal for everybody. So when it's always like the end of conference, one, it's at a terrible time for us because it's like 6 p.m. Eastern. So it's like the middle of trying to get dinner on a Sunday, trying to make this happen. So you're like cooking and I always have the laptop open. I have like the article pre-written as best as I can. So the moment President <laughs> Nelson starts spewing those off, you're like, you're a true journalist, Jeff. You get them all. But then when it was your Belinda, yeah, we were just like, well, I'm sorry. I mean, thankfully it was like last alphabetically. So it gave me a little bit of time to breathe. <laughs> but um, we we're just like, are you kidding me? And my phone just went nuts. And everyone's like, what? 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 And I've even seen the uh, the specs for it too, because they went through the city council. Yeah, it's just it's great. It's super yeah. cool, man. It's it's fun stuff for everybody. What a blessing for the people of Burley, Idaho. I like this one because I don't imagine a lot of people expected somewhere like Burley would get a temple when you've got Twin Falls not too far away. Mm-hmm. And but uh, yeah, good times there, man. Good times. Speaking of wealth and prosperity and blessings, yeah, um, that's there is a, yeah. a a article at the Times and Seasons dot org. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> is that, that my uh, my segue music when I crack it when I use a dad joke? No, here, here you go. Here. All right. Go ahead. Welcome back to This Week in Mormons. And uh, yes. we'll now 
stop talking about this article. I've totally thrown you off your speed. It sounds like it's the volume is, is louder than it needs to be. <laughs> I don't know. So, Jeff, it's called, Why Do Church Leaders Tend to Be Wealthy? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Uh, yes. Because I don't know if yeah. I've mentioned this, Jeff, but I've been a bishop before. And let me tell you, I am crazy wealthy. Okay. Did they ask you, was part of the interview process, they asked about your downline? Is that what four, they do in Utah? <laughs> four years of tax returns I had to submit. And... uh all you know, all the assets I own. No, no. Jeff. Could you imagine if you had to do that for leadership things? Like we need to see your tax returns. Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like I'm not doing this. You can have them. Um, yeah. So this is an article. I think uh, you know just on this this blog site. So uh, it's a little. Um, this blog site is called Times and Seasons. By the way, it's a yeah. it's a not like a nothing page. But okay, continue. Uh, come on, come on. Is it really though, Jeff? I don't know. So uh, I, I don't right know. There, truth will prevail. I mean, it tells us <laughs> it will prevail. <laughs> Uh, I, I think there's some uh, there's a, a few holes in this article, a few assumptions made, and I I would guess if we were to literally and I and I guess when he says uh, church leaders, I mean, what is he talking about? Is he like local leaders, like bishops, stake presidents? He's talking about mission presidents, relief society presidents, like what? Because I could say that yeah, there are some you know like mission presidents generally on average are probably upper middle class to uh, wealthy. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, uh, and uh, so so, but if I, if you were to, I think, survey if there's some way to do this, all the the bishops and you know ward councils in the world, I don't think we would be at all impressed with the level of wealth. What do you think, Jeff? Sorry, phrase that again. You think if we actually it, pulled just the bishops, like the I local leaders, even if it was just bishops, if we I, looked I th- at. I All think the there's a the massive world. disparity between North America and the rest of the church in this regard. Right. Uh, I, I think that would just be... And yeah, this is I mean, another thing, the, the article, I mean, are we talking international here? Right. Yeah. I, I, well, and the author kind of just says up front, like, I say it's apparent that the U.S. It says, he says U.S. Yeah, church, he does though, say, I mean, okay. That the church leaders tend to be wealthier than average. He's like, I say it's apparent because I don't have numbers. This is just mm-hmm. kind of anecdotal. I feel this way, more or less. So if we are talking about U.S. church leaders... By and large, I would agree with it from what I've seen in my life, at least. I mean, not like wealthy, wealthy, um, but it could vary. Like, I will say that I was very impressed years, years and years ago when a member of my stake presidency, just the stake, the second council in the stake presidency, was a public school teacher. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's funny though culturally, it's like that's not something you expect. You expect like your stake president's going to be some successful business individual, and maybe his counselors will also be successful in business. And the other one has also done things in business, and they all work together in business. And to be clear, we know there's some truth to this because I think we, I've, we've I've read enough of like stories of apostles visiting stakes to reorganize them and like asking specifically of of leaders like. When they're interviewing, does so and so have business experience? These are questions they do ask. Mm-hmm. Now, business experience doesn't mean wealth necessarily. Right. I think they're curious about like organizational management and what your capabilities are therein. Um, but a lot of the time, having those capabilities, if you're good <clears throat> at business and good at organizational things, you're oftentimes more successful financially because you have your crap together. But that doesn't always. That's not always the case. But in yeah. my life, I've seen. I wouldn't say bishops have been wealthy, but I'd say bishops were not financially in a financially like perilous situation and also all the more important the church cares a lot about protecting the church and you i'm not saying you would but you could run the risk if you have bishops who were like impoverished absolutely feeling the need to sip a little off the top um and that has happened in our church Mm -hmm. not even in like far away history right this is the thing they Mm -hmm. keep an eye on and so if you're not uh if someone's already well or off, well or off, well or off, more well. <laughs> but if they're in that case, they, they the presumption is they have resources and time to give, and there's far less likelihood for fraud, yeah. I would assume. Yeah. To me, I don't think it's a wealth question as much as a, a stability question, right? Mm, like yeah. it, when, when I was bishop, we were in an area with, with condos and apartment buildings, and I was in the condos, and generally that's where the leadership came from because owning a condo, condo, there's a little bit more stability in life than maybe an apartment, or you know, you know, you're less likely in the transition period in your life if you're if you're living in a condo right now or whatnot. So, um, to me, I think uh, the t- again, it depends on what leadership uh, role you're talking about. But he he has three reasons, uh, three hypotheses: mm-hmm. uh, prosperity, gospel, which. Um, 
Oh yeah. You know, that, that maybe those who are more righteous are also blessed financially and therefore are also blessed with, with callings of leadership. And, and, and to be clear, prosperity gospel is like a legitimate belief in some evangelical circles and others. Oh yeah. It yeah, is not officially a doctor. There's a great uh, documentary. I believe it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's on there anymore. I think it's called like the American gospel or something. I don't know. American church. I don't know. But uh, it, it was fascinating. It talks about this, the prosperity gospel and what a problem it is and whatnot. Okay. And uh, anyways, uh, and then the other one is, well, leaders, if they're more wealthy, they generally just have extra time. And I think this is, this is true in the case of mission presidents that they're, yeah, they're more wealthy because you're asking them to step away from the, uh, maybe a, a, a career or a, for, you know, for three years. You know, it's funny you say that. I, they have to have the money, but I also think both of my mission presidents effectively own their own businesses too. Yeah. So they also had the flexibility to walk yep. away for three years. Knowing that they could come back. and Knowing they could come right back. Yeah. 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 So I, th- I think that, but to me, I don't necessarily think that's the case with, I don't know, several bishops who n- none of them had this, the feeling of, oh yeah, I have extra time. I'd be happy to do that. To me, I, I almost wish it was uh, more individuals who are maybe in that retired phase were given an opportunity uh, to do some of these things. But, uh, and then the last one he says is wealth is a marker of managerial competence. And so, and I think that plays into it. Um, I definitely think there is this feeling and I hear a lot of that, you know, that this is, there's, there's, this is such a sacred tradition of like lay leadership and calling people to, to leadership roles. And it's all done 100% on feelings of the spirit. And I, I think that's not helpful in this process because that's just not the case for life. Like, it's not like a, a sacred scroll drops down from heaven telling you exactly who the Lord wants in these positions. I think the Lord gives a lot of autonomy to us, and that's exactly why he gave us keys. They're, they're gover- governing keys, and so he expects us to make decisions with that. And so we may have a list, and sure, I, I felt that nudge as a leader towards certain names rather than others, but to say that, oh, no, this is God's will, this is who he wants, and I didn't, I didn't even think about managerial experience or or wealth or extra time or anything. I, I don't think that's helpful either. Um, but I think we got to get away from this idea that it's all done 100% of because God told us this name. Well, that's just not my experience. No, I don't think that would be the case either. When we study it out, we offer things up. And like you said, I think God gives us a lot of autonomy, even yeah. to fall on our faces, like if, if needs be, right? Yeah. Um, do you think since they talk about prosperity gospel, Mm-hmm. I'd love your take on this because there's there's one comment in the comments on this article that kind of falls in line with the same thing I think about sometimes. Do you worry the Book of Mormon sometimes errs a little bit on the side of teaching that only because yeah. we look at the Nephites and when they are righteous, they prospered now, in know, the land, right? I know, we, yeah, they prospered in the land and they were wealthy. Then when they got too wealthy, of course, they forget the Lord, right? So and then they're humbled again. We see the pride cycle over and over again. But there is repeated mention many many times that when they are righteous. Yeah. When they keep the commandments, they are blessed monetarily, presumably, for a time. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of in between that, of course, because it could be like, well, they're being righteous. They're, they're choosing the right. They have their stuff better together. And God cannot withhold his blessings from them like he might when they're like, like you know, the whole story of Mormon, how God just like refuses to help the Nephites anymore because of yeah. how wicked they've become. Um, do you ever see that in the scriptures or do you think that's... Uh, I'm going too far. No, I would say it's a safe thing to say that the Book of Mormon sort of airs on that side of of that doctrine or whatever it is. Um, and that's to me just another example of that we worship a God of paradoxes, right? I mean, you're going to find paradoxes throughout the scriptures, and and we have to sit with those and reconcile those. And I know in my experience, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, as far as uh, <laughs> the journey I've been on, the choices I've made, I. I think I should be a little more wealthy, Jeff, if that prosperity gospel is, is legit. But I also know that that's not necessarily the reason of of uh, this life of and whatnot. But, um, you know, it uh, so but I think it's safe to say that. But, you know, and that's not condemning the Book of Mormon in any way. I mean, uh, it's obviously an inspired book of scripture, but it's it's a paradox that we have to sit with. Now, what about one other thing? We think about this like the fact that bishops are both spiritual leaders, focusing on that side of things. But mm-hmm. then there is this large managerial component yeah. to it. I think a lot of that stems from our history, you know, the old bishops of the church during the time of the Restoration. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very hands-on, much more in kind of the mindset of like a the presiding bishop. Right? A lot of temporal affairs, right? Mm-hmm. And they do both. There, there's some who might argue, and I'm not saying this is my argument, but 
is that ever worth reassessment or could it even be reassessed? Should we instead have like a ward manager who mm-hmm. is responsible for the temporal affairs and managing those things and a bishop who legitimately is a lay leader focusing on like the well-being and the activities and all that stuff, but he's not the one like sh- sweating the finances and facilities and all this, all this other stuff. They are sacred funds. We treat them sacredly. I fully understand that. But you could kind of like see the case for why don't you just have ward like a ward manager type role of somebody who, which in many ways is like a ward clerk. Why don't you just elevate the ward financial clerk into something bigger? But you know yeah. what I mean? Like we just have to spend a lot of their time thinking about some of the minutia management side of their wards. Uh, they try to push that off to counselors, you know, as much as they can. But I wonder if it, it in some ways hampers the ability of a bishop to uh, focus primarily on the spiritual welfare of one's flock. Yeah, that's interesting. It's sort of like a, the city manager and the mayor dynamic, right? Kind uh, of, yeah, in a way. And, yeah, yeah I, that's fascinating. Especially, I've heard in I was in, I've been in a few meetings, if I remember right, of uh, Area Seventy saying that you know if a bishop loses his job or gets laid off, he should probably consider releasing him. And, and I thought, oh my goodness, I mean, could you you know kick him while he's down type of thing? But <laughs> the point, right, yeah, but the yeah, point yeah. being is that. You know, they're suddenly maybe they're worried about finances, and now they're they're on a different level of temptation with, with managing the funds, and that sort of uh, adding that extra layer of having you know a clerk or a, a financial director or you know more of an administrative director that handles that, and they just keep them separate, and then the bishop handles just the the spiritual welfare. I, I love that, but and I think we're in the midst of that an evolution in 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 a related tone uh, with you know. The, the focus on the youth and having elders corn presence and release side presence more involved. And I don't think a lot of wards have really figured it out at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we get a lot of questions at leading the saints, just people curious about what other wards are doing. And I haven't really pinpointed very many that feel like they've, they've found a good uh, working process for, for that. I think the bishops are still taking on a lot on their shoulders and uh, it's continues to cause some of the delegation problems and mismanagement at times. So yeah, I think there's, and I hope, I pray that the the church continues to look at just the organizational structure, the leadership structure, especially in more saturated areas where there's so much, so many people who could step in and help in some capacity who either has the experience or the ability to really uh, spread the, spread the work and we'd find deeper success, I think. Yeah. I mean, imagine being a bishop and you didn't have to stress out about all that stuff and yeah. you could just like devote yourself to a ministry more yeah. or less, right? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. All right, folks, because LDS Living is addicted to listicles that jive with the times, they've got uh, five times Obi-Wan Kenobi reminded us of gospel truths. <laughs> and that was his intent, is my understanding. If you're not aware, in case, uh, there's an Obi-Wan Kenobi show right now on Disney Plus that you can see if you subscribe to Disney Plus. Uh, we don't have an affiliate link or anything like that, but you just go do you. It'll be fun. <laughs> That's right. So here are the five quotes and about the various things. I'm just going to blow through these because mostly I just crack up because uh, there's nothing wrong with trying to like pull gospel lessons out of all sorts of places. I think that's fine. Truth is truth, Jeff. Yeah, I think that's fine. It's just like, <laughs> oh, it's like a step away from us being like, did you know Obi-Wan Kenobi was actually inspired by a Mormon missionary? <laughs> you know the character came from? It's like, we, we insert ourselves in everything. So your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. This basically says like, hey, there's a lot of, in our day and age, a lot of lies, deep fakes, all kinds of stuff. But you know what? You can trust your spiritual eyes. Trust those. Uh, then the old point of view comments from Return of the Jedi, some of the worst dialogue in the original trilogy. Many of the truths we cling to depend on our point of view, a certain point of view. Luke, sometimes you'll see that things depend on your point of view. It's when Obi-Wan tries to explain away uh, why he said that Darth Vader killed Luke's dad in the first movie. Because nerd alert, because George Lucas didn't have the whole thing written out by then. So initially, Darth Vader had killed his father. And then they're like, well, actually... That, we're speaking metaphorically. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, this is just about point of view. You know, you got to have your, your... There could be lots of interpretations of this quote. There's a quote from President Nelson, that friends and family should step away from the church. Continue to love them. Do not be led astray, though, by those who have different points of view. Have a good point of view. Here's a quote from apparently... He says, a great leap forward often requires taking two steps back. This one's from the Clone Wars series, which I've never watched. So that's just, okay, that's good advice. Um, Here's another one from Clone Wars. War tends to distort our point of view. If we sacrifice our code, even for victory, we may lose that which is important to our honor. 
War has very moral ramifications, people. And of course, we're aware of that because of uh, Russia's little invasion of Ukraine. It can distort things quite a bit. Last one, if you define yourself by the power to take life, the desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. I think that's just flat out true. There's some quotes I wish they would have used instead. Things like, that's no moon, it's a space station. That would have been a good quote. Um, also, strike me down and I'll be more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I don't know why we're not pulling a gospel context out of that one, but all right. You do you, LDS living author, Janelle Sando. That's you next do. week, Jeff. Five more Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> quotes. <laughs> Just going to keep going. I wish it would be five Anakin Skywalker. Who's going to do five Anakin Skywalker Ooh. quotes? There's that one about the sand, right? What it's does he say? Have, you have to have, I hate, I hate sand. I hate it's sand. Yeah. And it, it's, it's famous. It's a beautiful one. <laughs> five Padme quotes. Hold me like we did at the lake when there was nothing but our love. Like that alone. I mean, come on. All right, I'm done with this topic. All right, Jeff. We got uh, <laughs> four else. tips. This is from... The church is church news or church. This is actually at the church at, at church of Jesus Christ.org. This is the, the okay. church's website. Cool. Uh, four tips to help you include members from different cultures. Um, so one, help them get familiar with the culture, become friends, learn about their background, help them come unto Christ. And this reminds me, it's a shameless plug that I believe, uh, net is it that might be this Wednesday. So in two days from this recording or tomorrow. Um, we I did an interview with a former uh, a bishop who was in a Spanish-speaking ward in an English-speaking stake here in, in Salt Lake Valley, and he talked about these things. Of, because in a Spanish-speaking ward in the United States, obviously, you don't just have Mexicans. You've got Venezuelans, people from Guatemala, mm-hmm. people from Argentina, and so forth. And so they talked about this. This was an important part of their um, of their community of their ward is making sure that uh, we were getting familiar with other cultures and because it was easy f- to see, you know, people from the same country, paisanos, as they call them, Jeff, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> that they would sort of form natural clips, clicks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they say. Yeah. Anyways, Jeff. Well, I think this is, it. thank you. <laughs> I, I do like the context of the, art- of the article, at least here. Um, I mean, the, the author, uh, Sochil uh, Bot Rivera, says his mother was a Mexican immigrant. So at home, he lived a Mexican lifestyle. But outside of that, he lived what he called an American lifestyle, right? And so, and there wasn't a big Latino community in his area. So he decided he was praying about whether to go to an uh, English ward or a Spanish speaking ward and felt that he should go to the Spanish speaking one. So that's kind of what this is all born out of. Like, even though he himself was raised kind of with Latino influences at home. He didn't really grow up with that like around him everywhere else. And these are why he has his his advice to uh, help them feel better, which I think is great. I yeah. mean, whatever the, the culture should be, the culture of the gospel above all else anyway. Absolutely. Right? Culture of I mean, Christ. I think Elder Bednar would say something like, we have no Mexican members of the church. That seems like something Elder Bednar would say because he doesn't like the no, labels. Yeah. He, no. I'm serious. He says we don't. He says there are no small temples. He says there are no gay saints. I am convinced there are also no Brazilian saints because that would be a label. We can't use that, Kurt. It's true. It's Here we it's are. Um, but I can appreciate this. I remember on my mission once we did a. Uh, there were a lot of Romanian immigrants in Spain, mm. and we taught many of them. I learned a lot of Romanian and stuff. And but we did this thing. It was around Christmas Eve. It might have been Christmas Eve itself. It was. It was the holidays where we had like a cultural evening and all these Romanians who were mostly investigators, a lot of them came and were like showing off Romanian culture. We had a lot of members from sub-Saharan Africa and it wound up being this fun ward experience where everybody from different places, especially the immigrants and immigrant communities face a lot of uphill battles that native born individuals often don't, but we're able to show off a lot of their culture. And thankfully we were in a ward that was extremely inclusive and understanding just already. Uh, but it was a really positive evening and a great time where you saw, you saw people like, no one was mourning, but it was that idea, like mourning with those who mourn and standing with those and kind of understanding one another, developing greater empathy for everyone's lived experiences. And that word was super strong. It's probably the strongest word of my mission because um, the members went well out of their way to understand um, other people and where they were coming from and what their experiences were and trying to learn from them. Because I've been in other areas where like the Spaniards wouldn't talk to the immigrants. And the ward sucked. Wow. And like the vibes in the ward were bad. Yeah. And the work didn't go very well either. And retention rates were poor. Of course, they were poor. There was no Zion people among that, right? They weren't trying. So uh, it's a good reminder, folks. You might see other people in your ward and you know learn from their background, make them feel welcome. 
Good job, Kurt. Way to pull that out. Thank buddy. you. Thank you. Way to pull that out. Uh, We're near also, the end of our list, if you can't tell, folks. So, <laughs> Also, Friend to Friend is returning. I'm a big fan of this, and I'm glad it is uh, coming out more on the regular, because they did it in 2021 the one time. Longer form. Uh, and then we had the last one in early spring, late winter, maybe. Yeah. I want to say. I forget exactly when it was. But uh, children ages 3 to 11, their parents and primary leaders are invited to watch the upcoming one. And we'll have special messages from also Elder Gary Eva Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve. And it will be called Temples Are the House of the Lord. And it will be available, because you don't have to watch it live. It'll be available starting July 30th at 10 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time. This broadcast was originally scheduled for July 16th, but they postponed it so they could broadcast all languages at the same time. Cultural sensitivity once more. Don't favor the English-speaking people and delay it for everybody For everybody else. Do it at once. I think that's good. Uh, and if you remember last time around, they shot. They also shot the entire thing in Spanish. Uh, oh, yeah. They, just, they had like uh, Spanish-speaking kids and everything, right? And they, th- they did Spanish and Portuguese was the other one, right? They actually, they didn't dub it. They did them in those languages. Right. And I'm assuming they'll do the same thing this time. The last friend of him is a bit shorter, only 20 odd minutes, but very good. This one will focus on the temple. I love they're doing this. And I love Joy D. Jones for, I assume, being a transformative figure in starting that first one back in 2021. Um, and I even see that as an upside to COVID in a way. I don't yeah. know if the first friend of friend would have happened if COVID hadn't like sure. forced our hand to find ways to program for the primary kids yeah. during the pandemic. So uh, I'm excited for that. Good for them. You and I have primary age kids. I love these That's things. That's right. No. And there needs to be more of the, I, I wish it was a weekly show, but I know that that would take a, a large amount of resources. I, I wish we just watched church on Zoom every week. Hey, I wish. <laughs> we, can all, we all got our wish, Jeff. <laughs> so... Oh boy, Jeff, where do you want to go next? I don't even know. Tell, tell about how the, if you join the church, you'll be good at sports. Okay, yeah. So uh, <laughs> this is a uh, NHL that's, player, that's uh, major turn. Says, by the way, what's that? That's what the headline says. It basically says, "Join the church, <laughs> and you will be good at sports." Yeah. What it really says is NHL's lone Latter Day Saint hockey player is one step from the Stanley Cup Finals because he chooses the right. Um, the <laughs> So this is Derek Ryan. His uh, professional career came during his one season in the Swedish Hockey League. He was the league's top scorer and its most valuable player. It didn't take long for the NHL teams to start calling. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, he's doing great. And he's. I, I would think there would be more than just one Latter-day Saint in the NHL, but. I guess. So here's the issue, though. Just just to not spoil it for anybody, this article was written a few days ago. Uh, currently, the Edmonton Oilers, his team, are down uh, three games to nil. Oh, boy. Uh, in the playoffs here. So um, it's, it's not looking good for the Western Conference Final for him. <laughs> he might not be playing in this. Is, this is part of the story, Jeff, is the big comeback, like the Red Sox back in the day. The two, this, is, this is 2004 Red Sox That's all over right. again, is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's a convert, though, right? He joined the church of his own volition in his adulthood. If that's not a mistake. We need more of those Com- people. Compared to the involuntary people, yes. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the people we drag <laughs> into the font. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a cool little story. Yeah. It does kind of just, yeah, I mean, he Maybe says... Maybe the framing and tone of it is a little, little different. The framing and tone is a little bit like he changed his choices uh, and the way he lived, and now he's a better hockey player because of it. Yeah. Because of what the church brought up, which what I'm most curious about, the only Latter-day Saint in the NHL. That is actually more interesting to me than anything else. We have plenty of Latter-day Saints in basketball, football, baseball. We're represented, not tons of us, but we're there. But the only one in the entire NHL. Do you think that is because, uh, I mean, hockey teams are all around the country and it's not like it's you play like where you live necessarily. I don't know. I'm curious. It's about because this. BYU's hockey team is a club team, Jeff. That's what it okay. is. Yeah, BYU's. And I also wonder, honestly, if culturally the places where hockey is a bigger deal, i.e. the far north, is not as heavily Latter-day Saint in yeah. a lot of areas. I'm mean, not that you can't play hockey anywhere, but you know what I mean. Like right. it's uh, a lot of Canada, New England, Minnesota and stuff. Like we have Saints, but it's not like sports like football. Right. Yeah. There's probably not a lot of hockey recruits coming out of Utah. Right. That's what. I, yeah. That's what I wonder about. It's kind of interesting. So imagine being the only one and a convert, no less. So there's right. nobody playing professional hockey who was like raised in the church. No pioneer but, stock in the NHL. None whatsoever. <laughs> and that's the name of the episode. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you. You think I'm joking, but you can hear me writing it out. <laughs> okay. So that's cool. I'm glad uh, I'm honored when my phrases make the title of the episode. You are. You're full of witticisms and whimsy. Um, 
here's something I was perusing Deseret News's faith page, uh, you know, looking for some interesting content, interesting stuff. And here's an article uh, by Maya Jaradat who talks about what other faith, what not what other, what faith groups are doing to help with the housing crisis. Um, lots of interviews with people from all around the country and faith communities, and essentially what they are doing in order to address the issue of the fact that housing is very expensive in the United States right now. And there's not enough of it in most cases. I mean, Kurt, you've seen that you're probably over the moon that you bought your current house when you did, as opposed to now, yep. um, 30, yeah. 40 miles outside of the area where I wanted to live. But yes, uh-huh. yes, yes. <laughs> but it's but a even, house nonetheless. But, but even that I'm going to go out on a limb and assume you have appreciated oh, in yeah. a ridiculous way. Yeah, we yeah. got some equity. There you <laughs> It's time to refinance. You've already hit that 20%. That is. No more PMI for you. <laughs> so um, anyway, this it's a lengthy article. It's worth reading. I'm not going to go into every detail, but it is interesting to learn about how faith-based organizations and houses of worship are actually like sometimes even working with local legislatures to try to find some kinds of solutions. And sometimes this is as much as like using old, like taking old churches that are no longer used as churches and converting them into homeless shelters or using property that churches might own to build affordable housing or things like that. Um, you know, there's no, there's no proposal. that's necessarily a bad one uh, per se, but I like that these churches are getting involved in some short-term solutions, some longer-term solutions, things that they can do. Uh, in order to address these issues, not just of like affordable housing, but also, of course, you know, the homeless situation. And it always makes me wonder what more we can do within our faith group as Latter-day Saints. I mean, there's no real mention of what we are doing in this. And we've talked about it a bit on the show before. Is affordability going to at some point become a major issue somewhere like Utah and cause potentially even an exodus of members to go elsewhere where they can afford to live, as we're seeing in some other more expensive states right now that are going to Utah? Um this this could be it's just very interesting to me, right? Like we're good at building luxury condos and stuff like that. And that's nothing wrong with that. But why don't we build more that involves affordable housing? Why don't we do a little bit more on that front? I kind of wish we would. I think it'd be cool. Kurt, I know you don't want any involvement with anything for anybody doing anything. You want you want the invisible hand to guide all things. But that's right, Jeff. Yes. That's right. No, what it is is that I am completely uneducated on any of these dynamics. And if I tried to say something, I which I've, <laughs> I've done in the past on your program, and uh, typically sound just completely out of bounds. So. <laughs> I, amen, Jeff. That's what I'm going to add to that story. I don't know. It'd be cool. I don't have all the answers. I think, it, and the church doesn't have all the answers necessarily, but it'd be cool if we also got involved to think about things we could do. I mean, I even think about my meeting house here. We have like double the size of a parking lot. Like we use our back parking lot for parties and stuff. It's like, yeah, you could also build like some like affordable housing units on that too. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but to put, idea. so you can house your, your uh, impoverished bishop. In order yes. to change that. And then what you do is you have to go to theology school to become a bishop and you take a vow of celibacy. <laughs> yeah. It's a new idea, Jeff. Fine. Yeah. It's a brand new idea. Why hasn't anybody <laughs> thought of this before? <laughs> All right, Jeff, I'm ending it uh, with, uh, with a plea from the TWIM audience that we need Michael Ballum on the, on the <laughs> podcast because recently it was, it was shared, tweeted that, uh, that Michael Ballum was giving tours of the Logan Opera House. I know that he's a resident of Cache Valley. Mm-hmm. And I think he taught it or maybe still does teach at Utah State. I don't know. But um but Michael Ballum, he is he is a a I'm a, I'm so many terms are coming to mind, Jeff. A he's legend, a, an a, entertainer, a, a singer. He is an institution of himself state, within our state institution. In, all these things. So that would be a fascinating interview. So make it happen, Jeff. The reason he's saying this, by the way, come on, you can't leave the context out, Kurt. It's because of <laughs> Benjamin Park. I'll just link to the photo. Yeah, but Benjamin Park made a quip about some of the temple script. Not a not oh, a yes, yes. not a crazily sacred part, but basically that Michael Ballum played Lucifer in the temple film before they finally got rid of it for those three new ones before they turned it into a slideshow. Um, and he quotes some of the dialogue about the fanciness of the uh, Logan Opera House and what you can purchase with means, shall we say. <laughs> But uh, I'd love to have Michael Ballum on. Sure, let's do him. Do you ever think it's funny that Michael Ballum is almost like very close to being spelled Balam? You know, I don't. I don't follow. You know, Old Testament stuff. Oh, okay. You know. <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean. Oh boy. That's very close together. 
That should be your first question when you have him on your podcast. I bet he'll never come. I'll be like, we had Marlon K. Jensen on, and he liked us a lot, even though I bet he doesn't remember it. But he he was there. <laughs> you can come too, Michael Balaam. Michael, Michael, Michael Balaam. Here I go. Anyway, um, it's been a good run, Kurt. I've enjoyed yeah. this time with you. Yeah, we we're just hit an hour here, man. So Oof. yeah. So everyone, thanks for taking the time to tune in. Love you all, Patreon supporters. You guys are the best. Thanks so much for keeping us going. You can do the same if you go to patreon.com slash this weekend Mormons. And of course you can follow us on all the socials and all the places and all the things and thisweekendmormons.com, where you can also find the links to the articles we've discussed this week. I'd like to thank Kurt Frankham, my wonderful friend and host. Go to leadingsaints.org, folks. Help him out there. You can also pledge there and make a tax-deductible donation if you really want to. That's right. And that'll help Kurt get out of, you know, 40 miles west of Salt Lake City. That's right. It'd be great. If you want this prosperity doctrine thing to work, <laughs> we've got to get Kurt into Emigration Canyon. Make it happen, people. <laughs> Come on. But good seeing you, man. Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. All right. Well, have a good week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Another episode of This Week in Mormon. Another episode. I called it a episode. Another episode of This Week in Mormons is over. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.